is Jimmy Scroggins, and I'm the lead pastor of Family Church in South Florida. Welcome to the Church for the Rest of Us podcast. On our podcast, we're committed to giving you scalable ideas that you can use with the resources you have right now at your church. So welcome to Church for the Rest of Us. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Church for the Rest of Us. This is Jimmy Scroggins with my co-host, Leslie Bennett broadcasting from high atop the office tower in downtown West Palm Beach, also known as the little tiny room in the third floor of our office building where we do podcasts. Glad you guys are with us. And Leslie, about, I guess, 14 years ago, 2010, we began our multi-site journey at Family Church when we launched Family Church in Abacoa, a little community a little bit north of West Palm Beach. Today in 2024, we are more committed than we have ever been to this strategy, even though it's got its challenges. We're still all into it. We're all in. In fact, we're going to launch our 15th neighborhood church here in just a couple of weeks. We're really excited about that. Yeah, I can't wait for that. And, you know, a lot of churches that we interact with that are sort of peer churches or aspirational peers of ours are abandoning their multi-site strategy, but we're doubling down. Today, we're going to talk about why that is. And we have some familiar voices with us to many of our listeners, but let's let our guests introduce themselves. Yeah, I'm Todd Thomas. I get to serve at Family Church Sherbrooke as the campus pastor, but I also give some leadership and oversight to all of our campus pastors. Hey, Scott Crawford here. I am the business administrator and function as our CFO, helping give leadership to all the backhouse A stuff, lot of things stuff. like uh, <laughs> IT and finance and legal and HR. That's good. Yeah. My name is Todd Gaston, and I'm family pastor at North Stewart, about an hour north of our West Palm operation and kind of giving leadership to the Treasure Coast as well. That's right. And Todd's going to help us launch Family Church Jensen Beach in That's just a right. couple of weeks. So, Pastor Jimmy, you've actually been doing multi-site in some form or fashion for, I think, about 23 years before you came here. And so I'm just wondering, as we launch this conversation, why you personally are so committed to multi-site. Yeah. So I used to be on staff at a church called Hivey Baptist Church in Louisville, Kentucky. Uh, Kevin Ezel, who's now the president of the North American Mission Board, was our senior pastor. And back in about the year 2000, we were really experiencing a lot of growth in our church, and we didn't have the ability to expand our facilities where we were. And so we just came up with this idea, hey, what if we started another service, but instead of starting it on the campus where we were currently existing, what if we rented an auditorium at a high school and just started the service there? And we thought it was a really novel idea. We really didn't know that other people were already beginning to experiment with multi-site around the nation. And so that's exactly what we did. Well, over that time at Hive, for the next several years, we launched uh, seven campuses. And part of my job was to be in charge of launching those campuses. So I had to arrange the, the leases for the property. I had to find the staff members. And then I had to help oversee those as those campuses began to establish themselves and grow. And then, Leslie, when I came to be the lead pastor of First Baptist Church of West Palm Beach, now Family Church, I brought those experiences with me. And I really believe that multi-site is a great strategy because it is actually, in my mind, a long-term church planting strategy. Mm -hmm. And it's a way to ensure doctrinal fidelity. It's a way to multiply leaders. And it's a way to impact an entire region and to leverage the resources of a larger church organization and to focus those resources on neighborhoods 
that are underserved and that need gospel churches. So that's why I'm committed to it. We've seen God use that strategy in Louisville, and then we've seen him use it a lot here in South Florida as well. That's awesome. And everybody around the table has some experience with multi-site. Pastor Todd Gaston does as well. Todd Thomas, Scott here at Family Church primarily, I think, unless you have other multi-site experiences. Of course, from your business world, you have a lot of multi-site experience. But we are seeing some people around the country abandon this strategy. So as you talk to other pastors and ministry leaders, what are some of the reasons you think that people are walking away? I would say one of the big challenges is it just takes a lot of work. It Mm. takes think time. It takes meetings. It takes a lot of sit downs. Pastor Jimmy mentioned it, but like it takes leases and hiring and there's just a lot of effort that goes in. I think it can be really taxing on a team if they're not quite ready or haven't really developed at least a phase one of what the strategy could look like and they're just going at it. It can be very, very tiring. I think it's also t- kind of like having multiple kids. You know, when you start out in the parenting thing, you have the first kid and you think, ah, I got this figured out. And then you add two and three and all of a sudden you realize it's game changer yeah, it's all right. the way. Yeah, I was in the greater DC area and in a place called Stafford. And when we launched, we went from one location to three locations to be able to reach wider and farther and multiply. But at the same time, you start to feel the challenges of that, the real estate challenges of that, the technological challenges of that, of how do you expand out into that? And again, I know that drawing down here, obviously the call of coming down here to do it our way, I do believe in the way it can multiply. And I love and appreciate the way we're developing even the local neighborhood church. Yeah, I agree with what both these guys have said, just as you look at even in in our context. So we started in 2010 with Abacoa. Well, as you go multi-site, it's more facilities to manage. It's more roofs to replace. It's more AC units. Well, everything has a life cycle. So even some of the things that we launched over a decade ago, now it's time to start circling back to those and beginning to refurbish those Mm -hmm. as well, while we're simultaneously adding additional campuses that need renovation and work. And so honestly, you know, I think Pastor Jimmy had uh, Willie Rice on here one time Mm -hmm. and and just talking about it's hard work. It's difficult to do multi-site. It takes extra effort. And so the complexities that go with that, I think can be overwhelming if you're not prepared for it. Yeah, and I would also just say the work that it takes to maintain and cultivate the relationships that are required to move forward as one church organization with many expressions across varying neighborhoods, it just takes a lot of meetings. It takes a lot of FaceTime. You know, we use meals, meetings, and retreats as relational accelerators. But when I talk to our friends and peers who are discontinuing their multi-site strategy, I think it's a combination of the logistical challenges that Scott was laying out, but I also think a lot of it are relational challenges. So guys get tired of, you know, campus pastors get tired of the lead pastor telling them no, and lead pastors get tired of campus pastors posturing themselves as, you know, alternatives to their leadership instead of extensions of their leadership. And so as you kind of navigate after a while, everybody just goes, you know what? We're talented enough. We can just be one site, big old church, and all of y'all just go do what you want. And then I don't have to deal with you anymore. And the people who are being spun off are going, yeah, that's right. Because if you had turned me loose, I wouldn't be shackled by your dumb ideas and rules all the time. Sounds more like parenting all the time. (laughs) Yeah, and I know a lot about that. So I think that the combination of the logistical challenges combined with the relational challenges eventually feel like such a drag that people say we're not going to do it anymore. Yeah. 
But why are we still doing it then? Are we just crazy or what do you think? So I'd like to ask our campus pastors from your perspective, because you are leading your campuses, your individual churches, and at the same time, we're all doing this together. So Todd Thomas, what do you think? Why do you keep doing this? There is so much lostness to penetrate all over our country and all over the world. And I think the multi-campus strategy that we've espoused here just lets us go faster. It lets us develop something hopefully a little stronger from the outset. And God willing, we can go farther. We can get into more communities. We can get more neighborhood churches going. Those are three things that really stick out to me. Because we can go faster, we can go, we can get out there a little bit stronger, and then we can go a little bit farther. The second thing is I love the camaraderie of our campus pastors. There's no problem that any of our campus pastors have to solve on their own. There is a level of safety and encouragement and help and resources that are provided when we can do this together that I think really enables us to go faster and stronger and farther. Yeah, I'd piggyback off that and just simply say the humility it takes to be on a team and also the fun that comes along being on the team. Those were definitely accented as I joined here at Family Church. I'd also say this, a model sticking with this, why I think it's powerful, is you have put the pastor in that role of being able to focus on people. And isn't that really what you get in the ministry to do, mm-hmm. to minister to people inside the walls, but also outside in the community? The other thing is, is you get to focus on just what you're doing on a Sunday and beyond at your campus, the logistics, the facilities, even kind of the campus. You have the support from the financial support. You have the stewardship reality. And then you have the shared services that you wouldn't have if you were just alone, single, doing it at a single location. And so I love the fact that I get to focus on people, logistics, and quality control. And I get the bills paid for for our campus to operate and continue to strive and thrive and all the services that come with being a part of a family. So that's Scott Crawford. So Scott, that's what you do for all of our churches or help do. You don't do it all by yourself. And what are the benefits for this strategy from your perspective? Yeah, you know, I look at things through a little bit different lens or filter, but echo what these guys have said. So the seat that I'm in, one of the things that I look at, and we've talked about this before, if you do the math, if South Florida is roughly 96% lost, unchurched, unsaved, Even if the single site standalone churches, if all of them doubled, you would barely keep up with the birth rate in Mm -hmm. South Florida. And so there has to be this multiplication effort that takes place. It can't just be slow addition. It's got to be multiplication. On the logistical side, I think we gain economies of scale. I think there are cost savings available. I think you see productivity gains. You find efficiencies. And so those are some of the things that as we continue to grow, that we're trying to push more money into actual forward-facing ministry, which helps us then identify those efficiencies behind the scenes to help us keep moving forward. I love that. And our team serves as well in that area with creative and communications and production arts. And we learn a lot from Scott's team in this regard. I love the idea of a customer service model. I know sometimes Churches don't like using business language, but we have a lot of people who enjoy being behind the scenes, and that's Mm -hmm. their gifting, that's their talents, and they can serve their church in such a meaningful way um, by getting behind our ministry leaders and helping them be better at what they're doing by focusing on certain things that are more specialized skill sets that they might not 
have an aptitude for or really even want to do. Like you said, Pastor Todd, most people don't get into ministry because they want to figure out how to sign a lease agreement or how to, you know, contract with the AC guy. So Pastor Jimmy, I just wonder what you would speak to in terms of what makes us one church. Yeah. So I think, so when you talk about one church, there's some people who might be listening to this and they might be thinking like, these guys, ecclesiology is so screwed up. Like why they would say that there's 15 of them, but they're only one church. And I actually know where they're coming from and I'm sympathetic to that view. But let me tell you what we mean by that. Each congregation has its own live local leadership in our model. And so from the attender's perspective, the person who's up there teaching the Bible live in that environment is their pastor. The person who's working with kids at their campus, that's who their kids respond to in terms of being their kids minister, kids pastor. Same for students, music, all of that. And so from the perspective of the attender, their church family is the location where they attend. But because we have a parish model in all of this, we do get to be connected with a larger group of believers that allow us, as Todd Thomas said, to go further, faster together, to do more together than any one congregation could do on their own. And I think that's encouraging. But what really makes us one congregation, what we would say is it's actually one church organization. So one church organization is we have one name, family church. We have one budget. So when we get money, all the money goes into a central fund, and then it is uh, dispersed from there to all the different places that we have to spend money. The third thing is we have one constitution and bylaws, one set of guiding documents that legally make us one organization. And then we have one leadership structure. So we have a structure where organizationally, we have a lead pastor, me, we have a system of lay people who give us accountability and input. We have a committee structure. We have a whole team of people that's overseeing the day-to-day operations. And all of this is ultimately accountable to congregational approval via congregational vote. So even though we have a parish model and it might sound different to some of our particularly Baptist brethren, we actually are congregationally approved the way that most churches are over the same kind of items that most churches require congregational approval. And that's important to us biblically, theologically, culturally, all the way around. And so we want to maintain all of those distinctives. But we are one church because one church organization, because we have one name, one budget, one constitution and bylaws and one leadership structure. That's good. So why do we feel like this model is working for us? What are some of the benefits we see? Well, at the local neighborhood level, there is live preaching. Mm -hmm. The people in these congregations are not watching a video screen. While we have a lot of love and admiration and respect for those who do the video thing, we've decided to lean in more to neighborhood churches with neighborhood pastors who know their neighborhoods well and know their people well. And that includes the task of preaching the Bible. And so our congregations know their pastors. And I think there is something awesome to that. While at the same time, as a team, we're committed to the relationships. So we do eat a lot of meals together and sit down for meetings where we can learn from each other. There is so much mutual learning that happens in our meetings where our guys share best practices and good ideas. And usually within the week where a lot of the rest of us are actually applying those things. And so that's really, really powerful. But then we also look at our campus pastors being the tip of the spear. We want our campus pastors to have a real weight of responsibility for their congregation and realize that they can lead strongly in that area. And Todd, how would you say like being a steward, you know, a tip of the spear leader for what you're doing there looks like? 
Yeah, I mean, I think for me, it's the power of knowing we're a family of neighborhood churches that, yes, we get to collectively come together and we come together underneath the banner of a vision and a mission and a strategy that we're all running and living together. But I get to be the practitioner to do the incarnational work, to put it into play in our neighborhood. And so that's where you get to kind of live it out and then to come back and to be able to share and to grow and to celebrate together. I think to me, there's power even in that. Yeah, I think part of the celebrating for me, too, is I love this about our model is the way that our model works, because some churches, that local expression, the tithes and offerings that would come into that congregation, actually the surplus of those will help fund works that we can do in areas that would never be able to sustain a church on its own. So one of the things that we found is we're able to have a presence in some neighborhoods or some communities, which would, because of the under-resourced nature of that community, that's why there's not already a gospel church in that community. And we're able to plan an outpost there. And the surplus of one campus helps cover the shortfall of that campus, allowing us to saturate more communities, which is, I love that about our model. Yeah. And I tell you, which I love too, there's something New Testament about that, isn't there? I also think one of the great things that happens is every staff member at these neighborhood churches is elevated because they're not on their own. So in a normal church of, you know, two or three or 400, you have like a part-time children's person and a part-time preschool person, and maybe a student minister, maybe not volunteer, part-time, whatever. But in our model, every one of these people, yes, they serve at their local neighborhood church, but they are on a team of children's ministers and children's pastors, Mm -hmm. student ministers and student pastors, so that Every week they are interacting with 13 or 14 or 15 other men and women that are doing the same job across our family of churches. So they are picking up best practices. They are getting coached. They're not, you know, Todd Gaston, you and I used to do student ministry a long time ago, a long time ago. And uh, as our friend, the comedian says, we're from the 1900s. And so, you know, you remember, Todd, when we used to figure out what are we going to do next week? And we get out the youth specialties clip art book and try to find, you know, whatever we could figure out. Well, these guys don't have to do that. They're able to have a solid philosophy, a solid strategy, learn how to build a solid calendar, learn how to do solid teaching, learn how to do fun activities with young people that also have a purpose and they get coached and held accountable for that. And it just elevates every staff position, whether it's music, kids, preschool, assimilation, adult groups, all of it gets elevated because we're in a family of churches and nobody is on their own. That's awesome. Anybody want to add anything, any other benefits that you see that we didn't already talk about? We're good on that. Okay. Well, it does come with, I'll go ahead. Okay. It does come with challenges. So we don't want to have our listeners think that everything's super perfect around here and that we have it all figured out. We always want to remind people that we're still learning as we go along. So when we think about the complexities that go with doing multi-site well, what are some things that we run into at times? Yeah, I think on that, a lot of that's going to come down to some of the logistics that we talked about, right? So just in terms of complexity, so in our environment specific, and Leslie, you feel this more than anybody, printing programs in multiple languages and then figuring out a delivery system to actually get the programs for where they've been printed to where they need to get to. So it's things like that. It's the willingness to wait your turn. So again, in our model, where we're leveraging resources and sharing those resources, as Pastor Jimmy said, that one fund approach means that we can't do everything all at one time. So some things are going to have to be assigned a priority, which then makes it incumbent on us to actually have really good communication, Mm. right? So the challenge, it's okay if people have to wait their turn as long as they understand the why they're waiting and when they can expect something to happen at their campus. So those are some of the logistical things that I see. 
Yeah. And I would say the same thing, maybe not problems to solve, but tensions to constantly manage when you're working in a team with lots and lots and lots of people. You got to communicate, communicate and over communicate to make sure we're connecting, not just with information, but with relationship. And to me, what I love about our vision and our mission and our values is that they're stated, they're clear, we're, we're living them out. But then they also provide clarity and alignment for us to stay connected together because that's probably the challenge. When you stretch further geographically, which we're doing and multiply out, you want to be that extension of what's happening, not the alternative. And I think the vision, mission, values keep us in line there. But that is a complexity that we have to constantly manage. I would add that we have a lot of high level type A leaders. <laughs> and so <laughs> there are tensions to manage because we would all make decisions on our own all the time if we were doing this on our own. But there has to be a level of deference and mutual submission to a long-term strategy of reaching a whole region with the gospel of Jesus Christ that we have to be willing to sometimes lay aside our preferences or how we would build something on our own. Cause the reality is we've actually all signed up to do this together and that takes a good level of humility and trust. That's part of the whole meals and meetings and retreats thing is we want to continue to just build a high level of trust around all of our tables. Let me give you some examples of that, that I think be important for people to know. So one of the challenges, if you're a campus pastor is you're a campus pastor of what might actually be a relatively large church. So both of you guys have churches that run, you know, between 500 and a thousand every Sunday. And if you were a pastor of an independent church that ran between 500 and a thousand, and you wanted to spend 10,000 bucks or 20,000 bucks to do something, and you could find the money in the budget, or they had a good offering last Sunday, you just do it. But in this environment, you can't. And so there's a sense in which as the pastor, this may sound a little crass, but you don't always get to eat everything you kill. All right. And so just because your campus gave that money, you're not in total control of that money, for instance. But we leverage all that together. We actually do more. So, for example, we're about to set aside some other priorities with our church and we're spending about two and a half million bucks to buy an existing church building that needs to be refurbished. and so. That was an unexpected opportunity. And so two and a half million dollars worth of stuff that was about to happen at your campuses <laughs> mm-hmm. is getting set aside so we can acquire this church building. Now, if you were a standalone church, you would have zero possibility of acquiring this new property because you just wouldn't be able to even think about doing it. So because we're together, we can do it. On the other hand, if you were on your own, the other projects that you want to do would not be set aside because this opportunity wouldn't even be there. So there's some give and take, and we all have to believe in the larger goal of reaching our entire region. And this humility of we're making these decisions together. Because for instance, you two guys particularly have bought in on the acquisition of this other property. You want to do it. You agree with it. So then when something else gets set aside, well, I was actually at the table when we made that decision. That's right. And so there's some of this humility and shared decision-making that has to go into it. I said earlier, trust the triage because uh, <laughs> knowing there's other eyes on things that we're doing when you got your hand yeah. out saying, but I need this. I need a new pair yeah. of shoes. Yeah. You got to trust that in the priority of things, that's not first on the list. Yeah. I always count on Todd Gaston to come up with a new good trust, phrase. Trust, trust, trust the triage. The triage. Like Here it. we go. So you all have all these conversations a lot of times with people that you talk to, like we talked about at the beginning, people who are maybe thinking about moving away from multi-site, or maybe you have some people that you're talking to thinking about just getting into multi-site. So let's go around the table. One word of encouragement or some words of encouragement that you would give to anybody who's kind of on the fence about whether or not to 
continue doing multi-site or start? I believe multi-site is the best way to multiply and the no longer alone and to be a family of neighborhood churches is just strong and let's join it together. Yeah, I think for me, it would be you have to be willing to embrace change, not to state the obvious, but a multi-site expression of a church is very different than a single site standalone church. And so, you know, I look at our context, for instance, in the last three years, you know, we talked about meals, meetings and retreats. In the last three years, we've completely renovated how we do meals, meetings, and retreats, both in terms of where the meeting takes place, who's invited to the meeting, what the agenda looks like. And so I think if you're someone who struggles with change, multi-site is going to be a challenge for you. You're going to have to be intentional about embracing the change that comes with going multi-site. My encouragement is to the pastor that's considering this, if you do it, you got to spend a lot of time with your team. And you've got to make sure you've developed the right kinds of leaders. We have a saying in our HR area that is where you hire slow and you fire fast. (laughs) I would take a lot of time making sure you have the right leader or leaders in place uh, before you do this. Because if not, you're going to create a whole new set of problems for yourself. Yeah, I would just say, I don't think that multi-site is for everybody. Every church is not set up for it. And every pastor, whether it's their personality or just their priorities or the way, like, it's not for everybody and you don't have to do it. It's not in the Bible. Mm-hmm. And so I just want, if there's somebody thinking, man, I'm kind of feeling pressure to do it, or it seems like the cool thing to do, or maybe I feel like a loser if I don't get into that, you shouldn't feel that way. There is nothing wrong with a solid, strong church planting, single site church. At the same time, if it's something that you want to do and you think you can do it, I want to encourage you, you can do it. You can do it if you're a small church. You can do it if you're a medium-sized church. You can do it if you're a large church. And so I just want to encourage you, if that's something that God's put on, on your heart, you can do it. And we at Family Church will be happy to help you if you just get in touch with us. That's good. I would add what Pastor Todd said earlier about vision, mission, and values. I think when you get clarity on your vision and your mission and your values, so I would do that first before you think about making any move like this, because I do think that's what keeps us moving in the same direction. As you can hear around the table, everyone is committed to the vision, the mission, and the values that we have here at Family Church. And I think that gets us all pointed and headed and working together and keeping our focus on what God's called us to do. Yeah, I think this has been a great conversation. Leslie, thank you for facilitating that and interviewing all of us. In my opinion, the best part of multi-site is getting to serve with great leaders like the ones at this table and also alongside great leaders like the ones who are listening to this conversation. I do think that the best at Family Church is yet to come. I think the best for your church is yet to come too. Next episode, we're going to address a topic that comes up a lot. We get a lot of questions about mergers. We've done a lot of church mergers here at Family Church. We call those strategic partnerships. And next episode, we're going to discuss how engaging in partnerships has allowed us to be better together and to go further faster. But for now, I'm Jimmy Scroggins, Leslie Bennett, Todd Thomas, Todd Gaston, Scott Crawford signing off. This has been Church for the Rest of Us. Thank you so much for joining us on today's podcast. I'd love for you to check out FamilyChurchNetwork.com to chime in on our blog or follow me on Twitter at Jimmy Scroggins. We want to connect with you and learn from you because we're in this together. We're all learning from each other. We are church for the rest of us.